We are back again. It is Chase and Josh with Factor Fantasy. That's Chase and I am Josh, and we are here to give you the differences episode between the pages that line up in Fire and Blood directly with Season 1 of House of the Dragon on screen today. Really cool stuff. I know last week I took us through Episode 10, all the crazy things that happened there, and then our great discussions afterwards. And now that we've moved past exactly what we see on screen, we're going to be going into a little bit of how it compares to what we see in the Fire and Blood novel. And then obviously we're going to close out next week with our great rankings episode. So this week and next week are going to be kind of fun, guys. So uh, before we kind of jump in and, and go through the little compare and contrast that we're going to do, I'm going to turn the floor over to Chase to say a few words and then we'll get after it. Yeah, man, this is going to be a fun episode. So what's funny, too, is when a lot of people think of Game of Thrones, you know, they think the book Song of Ice and Fire. And uh, so I hadn't really read this book too much. I had read it one time uh, back when it first released in 2017. And got to be honest, like, I'm a culprit. I read it just because the cover was really cool. And I'm like, it's got dragons on it. It's got to be good. And it's very interesting, right? It It's not told, like, if you read A Song of Ice and Fire by George R.R. R. Martin, it's not like that. It's more like a, a narrative from a number of different people that are accounting what happened. And it's more like a historical account of a linear timeline. Is that how you would describe this book and how it's told? Yeah, exactly right. Uh, it, it is not told from the, the like, following characters throughout their day-to-day you know, from that perspective, it's absolutely a historical accounting of, hey, this is what happened. These are the the documents that we have in the time frame, and we're going to line up and try to tell the story the best we can based on, you know, in this case, it's going to be uh, Septon Eustace and the, the court fool Mushroom, for example. You know, but as you were mentioning throughout the entirety of Fire and Blood, it's, it's told from accountings of different individuals throughout the time period. So, yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah, man. So this is going to be a fun one. So uh, these differences episodes are always some of my favorites. So I'll get a malice in the chalice to you, brother. A couple, uh, couple last couple rides of the season, man. And let's get it going. Cheers. Cheers. Absolutely. So guys, we're going to do this very similarly to how we've done differences episodes in the past. I'm going to take a few that stuck out to me. I'm going to pass it over to Chase. He's going to do the same and we're going to kind of work all the way through it. To give everyone an idea, just in case you wanted to follow along yourselves, in Fire and Blood, at least in the hardcover version of Fire and Blood, the pages that are going to line up is the second to last paragraph on page 350 through the second paragraph on page 422. So if you guys want to go ahead and flip to those pages and follow along, you're more than welcome to. Those are the ones that we are covering. There's not going to be any real spoilers that are released here. There's only a couple things that have not happened on screen that are probably gonna happen in season two and we're just gonna gloss over it and say hey this, these things were covered but outside of that there will be no spoilers here on this episode but if uh, we go ahead and start it off there's a few things that I wanted to to point out on my end so I know Chase and I were talking about I think it was episode two when we started covering House of the Dragon here we had mentioned Missaria and how she has this really thick accent and we were wondering where she's from well, we find out in Fire and Blood that Missaria is from Lys. So uh, she's Lyseni, and we were wondering if she was from Volantis, which is interesting because now we're going to find out in, this, uh, in these passages exactly who the Triarchy are and who they're comprised of. And it's funny because they actually fought against Volantis, meaning, you know, even though we thought maybe she was because we kind of, you know, 
drew comparisons between Masaria and, and uh, Talisa from Game of Thrones, like Rob Stark's wife. It's just interesting that, you know, it was exactly the opposite. It was people who were fighting against Volantis. But that was the first thing I wanted to point out. Second thing uh, is on page 356. And this is more so giving you guys the context is that the two individuals that were giving the most accurate accounting of this time period were, again, Septon Eustace, who served in the royal Septon the Red Keep. He was a confessor and confidant to King Viserys. And the second was Mushroom, who was a court fool, who most thought was simple-minded, and so they didn't hesitate to speak openly around him. So these two people are going to be the ones that are given their accounting, and a lot of times I line up with subtle differences, and sometimes they're completely different accountings, and it's kind of cool to see how it comes from here. Uh, page 358, we learned that the two offices that Prince Damon held in the uh, the small council were Master of Coin and Master of the Law, which is just like it was on screen, but we never really got a, uh, a real idea of this were the set things. They just said that he had like, you know, a couple positions that bored him. Well, he was Master of Coin and Master of Law before uh, taking over as Commander of the City Watch. Now, one thing I wanted to mention here, too, to Chase, and I want to ask him, you know, the book really emphasized the dislike between Otto and Damon, and Otto thinks Damon would be another Magor the Cruel. My question is, is that it seemed to they, they really highlighted it more in the book than they did on screen. Like we saw they had like a, a little bit of a dislike for each other, but it really seemed super strong in, in in the novel versus you know there was just a little bit of you know not even to say bad blood, but they, you could tell they didn't like each other. But I really feel like in Fire and Blood it really accentuated the dislike between the two. Did you kind of get the same feeling? I did. It almost in Fire and Blood. Uh, Tell me if you got this from it, too. This is just kind of what I picked up more from Damon's character in Fire and Blood. They kind of more painted him as a, like a rebellious character that's also more set up almost like a, a villain in a way. They almost painted him more like a villain in the book. That's kind of like how I picked up on it. But um, yeah, I, I definitely got that, that vibe as well. I think you're right. You know, it did seem to... And, you know, I do think the on-screen kind of did its part of making him seem like a bad guy, too, with, like, some redeemable qualities. And, you know, you kind of get the feeling that, and, and at least on-screen, Damon isn't fully a, a villain. You know, he's got... Maybe he goes about things the wrong way, but it seems, for the most part, he has decent intentions, and, you know, he wants things done his way, but, you know, it's not as abrasive as it seems in the novel. So I, w I would agree with you uh, on that part. Uh, just to kind of go in from there in page 359, in the Fire and Blood novel, Sir Kristen Cole beat Damon the melee and the joust and beat Sir Eric with an E and Sir Eric with an A of the Kingsguard, but he lost to Lord Lyman Malister. So we didn't see that on screen. It was a little bit different. We did see the melee between Damon and Kristen Cole, but it almost looked like uh, an Oberyn Martell sort of deal where Damon had one that, that turned around and wasn't paying attention and, and Chris and Cole caught by surprise where in the book it just says Chris and Cole straight up beat him and uh, you know he ended up always going to the end and lost to Sir Lyman Malister the next thing I'm going to have I'm going to turn it over to Chase after this is on page 359 Lionel Strong the, the, he was the master of law before he became Hand of the King he earned six links of a maester's chain at the Citadel before deciding that he didn't want to be a maester. So he's actually a really smart individual, and you know he's silent, and that kind of makes sense on how he ends up giving a lot of great advice on the show on screen. 
but never mentioned that he earned six links of his maester chain on screen and that is something in fire and blood that it is mentioned and so just went through a few little things i picked up on that and i'll turn over to chase to go through his next few yeah and uh one thing i wanted to say it's very interesting because it says in this book of course that king baylor uh, it's up to you really decide what you consider is true and what you consider is false and king king baylor says mushrooms accounts should be burned so i i guess uh, what side more did you side with more of like septon eustace or more of like mushrooms account because you can kind of see in the show how they kind of picked each side it wasn't just like one side they still picked mushroom sides on certain uh, scenes we'll talk about later so i believe it's probably a little combination of the two uh, you know we always hear this you know saying that men lie women lie numbers don't right and so it's more along the lines of i guess a better phrase to to put this with is that there's three sides to every story one person's side the other person's side and the truth and the truth is usually somewhere in the middle and i really believe that maybe this is what we saw on screen as a, a little combination of mushrooms account and septon eustace's account at least up until this point right because we're only we're like i said we're only covering 72 pages in fire and blood and we only have one season of house of the dragon on screen so at least up to this point it seems kind of in the middle between both of their accountings is that kind of what you feel as well yeah, that's exactly what I got from it. Like, it's kind of like a mix of the two. But um, so uh, that actually worked out perfect because my next kind of difference here is in the book, page 360, third paragraph, last sentence. Uh, when Damon leaves for Dragonstone, Masaria is actually pregnant. And in the show, it's just a rumor. Like, it's not, remember, they were even talking and he was like, well, you we could be but it wasn't actually true whereas in the book it actually is true yeah and on to to drive that point home misari even said she took precautions and this is on screen where she couldn't get pregnant so no one could threaten her with childbirth so uh, this is a direct co conflict between what we saw on screen and, and the accounting in fire and blood because misari is not even able to have children on screen she said she took precautions that she could never be threatened with childbirth so she can't be pregnant where she absolutely was pregnant in in the novel you're absolutely right i'll let you go ahead and continue on awesome yeah and actually furthering on that point misaria in the book loses her child during a storm on the narrow sea because of uh this daemon for this reason becomes hardened and only speaks of viserys with disdain after this and that was on page 360 paragraph four and five and that's a big point too because remember in even episode two of the show at the end when Corlys valerian was talking to damon uh, damon even stuck up for his brother at that point so in my mind that's a direct contradiction because i don't see him talking about his brother in only disdain at that point um, so, and then the next one I have is Alicent. Uh, in the book, uh, she would read to King Jaehaerys as he was dying, and that's not mentioned at all in the show, and that's on page 361, paragraph 2, last sentence. And then the last one, I'll turn it over to you. Mushroom claims that reading was not the only thing Alicent performed in Jaehaerys' bedchambers, and that's on the second-to-last paragraph of page 361. So that kind of brings almost like a whole new vibe here in a way. Like, maybe your intention wasn't just to go bring, you know, King Viserys some books after that point. So those are just some of the differences I had. And then back over to you, brother. 
For sure. And to go back to page 359, just for one second, uh, Lionel, like Sir Lionel, I'm sorry, Lord Lionel Strong, he brought two daughters to court who became handmaids to Rhaenyra, but those were never mentioned in the show. We never hear about them. They're probably not important, but just definitely a little, little difference there. The two daughters of Lionel Strong were just never mentioned. And then... I also got this as well. In, in the show on page... I'm sorry, in page 361, it, it made it seem that Viserys was much more reluctant and hesitant when it came to choosing his new wife on in the show versus the book. It makes it seem like it was an easy choice for him. Like, he was really excited to marry Alicent the whole time, which kind of leads to what Chase was talking about. Well, maybe she was doing some other stuff that made it an easy choice for him. It's just interesting because what we saw on screen in the show... He was kind of tussling with the idea and like, ah, oh, I don't know, man. Like, you know, because first he had the opportunity uh, to marry uh, Lena Valarian, but she was so young and he was like, oh, I don't know. This is so weird. And then, you know, he, he ends up going to that small council meeting and saying that he's chosen a new wife and it's Alice and Hightower. But it seemed like a, like it was a de- debate and he wasn't really sure what he was going to do and he didn't really want to. In the book, he's like, yeah, Allison's the new wife, baby. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. It's like, did you catch that too? Did you kind of feel the same way? Oh, absolutely. I, I felt that way uh, the entire time. But, I mean, yeah, it's... In in the book, too, I'll say, Viserys isn't near as openly outspoken either, I would say. Like, yes, the situations do happen with Rhaenyra, but um, he's not near as... He just kind of reminded me more of kind of like a passive king that just let things happen, in, in my opinion. So I, I have a few things that I would I would dispute that when it comes up later in this novel because he takes a stand in certain ways that he doesn't do on the show and that's some things that I, I picked up on and we'll get there when we get there but I definitely think that there are a few moments in here where I'm like oh darn Viserys does have a backbone after all that I saw that came up in, in, in the novel at least but to go on from there I also want to mention this in Fire and Blood it doesn't make it seem as if Rhaenyra and Alicent were close childhood friends at any point during their childhood. It almost made it seem like they didn't like each other from day one. I mean, not I wouldn't say from day one because there was that point where uh, Rhaenyra was helping Viserys with the the betting ceremony, the wedding. So it seemed like she was at least in, in supportive of the wedding between Viserys and Alicent. But right right around that time period, it seemed as if they really didn't like each other from then on out it didn't make it seem like they were close at all during their childhood did you pick up on that too absolutely yeah in my opinion i think the show was trying to create more of an emotional attachment to the characters from the beginning and show because if you just go into a show when it's this versus that like these are your two main characters and they have like they're just pissed off at each other (laughs) like over the course of time I could see where that would draw sort of an issue where, you know, it's kind of like, why do we give a fuck <laughs> about these people? So I think I like the way they did in the show, really. But to your point, absolutely. There was no really backstory on them as a child or anything in the book. And then to, to kind of further this uh, going into page 362 in the book, and this is to talk about what I was mentioning with uh, Missaria earlier, we learned that the triarchy is made up of lease. Myr and Tyrosh, and after they came together against Volantis and winning the disputed lands from them. So, Missaria being from Lys, that, that's why it's a little ironic that we thought maybe she could be from, from Volantis, because Lys, Myr, and Tyrosh teamed up against Volantis and, and stole the disputed lands from them. 
continue on from there, page 364, the book says that King Viserys was pleased to be rid of Daemon to the effect of supporting Daemon's efforts with regular infusions of gold, which helped Daemon create an army of sellswords and cutthroats. Where in the show, Viserys was against sending help for the longest time until Lionel Strong asked him if it's better for the realm if the crab feeder thrives or is killed. So, I got, actually, I'm sorry, Allison's one that asked uh, Viserys that, but that's the whole point. Is my, my whole thing here is he was super against getting involved in that conflict at all in the show, where in the book he's like, yeah, if I can get Damon out of here, we're just going to throw some money at him. Sure, Damon, stay over there and fight your war. Just stay away from my fucking court. <laughs> but that's kind of what I picked up on that. And then the last one I'll say here before I turn it over to Chase is page 364. The illustrations in the book make it seem like Kragas Jahar was a normal individual. Where in the show, he looked like he was suffering from like grayscale or some sort of disease. And uh, this is, again, on page 364, you can take a look at that illustration there. Uh, and anyways, uh, the, on top of that, in the book, Damon cuts off his head in single combat, where in the show, he kind of cuts his body in half and drags it all out of the cave and we don't even get to see it which is kind of sad it's one of the things i wish we got to see on screen that's just one of the differences that that i picked up on there so i'll turn it over to chase here for his next few absolutely and that was a great point because i liked it better the way they did it in the show like it was a lot more uh dramatized and a lot more um intense in a way and i thought it was badass seeing him drag him uh, by his leg <laughs> out of the cave with like half his body missing versus just kind of you know Goliath style like cuts his head off but uh, another part here so remember we were talking about in the show when uh, Rhaenyra and Damon were having you know um, I wouldn't say relations but there was some spark of interest in each other when they kind of snuck out so in the book though it says sources differ, but Septon Eustace's tale says that Rhaenyra and Damon were discovered in bed by Sir Eric with an A, and she pleaded with her father to marry him, but Viserys had Damon sent away and confided Rhaenyra to her chambers and told them both never to speak of it again. That's entirely different <laughs> than what happened in the show. So. That's a really big one, especially for the fact of Rhaenyra sticking up for Damon there. Mushroom, this is on page 368, paragraph 3, uh, his tale discusses that Damon and Rhaenyra were going out, and Damon taught her how to pleasure a man with her mouth. That's uh, a little bit uh, interesting. It's a little bit more like how we saw in the show, but of course you can't really take it to that extent on a television show. But that's a little bit more the side there. So you're starting to kind of see, like, what they did to put on display for the show. It was a little bit of a mix of both. But, of course, Rhaenyra wasn't exactly sticking up for Damon either. The next one I have is Sir Harold Westerling. In the book, he dies in 112 AC, which is after conquest, before Rhaenyra. And this was on... Um, before Rhaenyra was 16, and this was on page 369 on the second paragraph. In the show, he's alive the entire time and even removes his cloak during the Green Council. So that's a big point. Rhaenyra wasn't even 16 um, when he was dead. So interesting. And then the next one, I'll turn it back over to you. So Septon Eustace says, Kristen Cole went to Rhaenyra 
when they had their relations in her bed chambers, not in a ship where it was in the show, and then asked her to leave with him. And that was on paragraph 370 and Mushroom claims uh, that was on uh, that was on the last paragraph of page 370 and Mushroom claims that Rhaenyra went to Kristen Cole, removed her clothes and offered him to take her virginity in the White Sword Tower. But Cole would not sleep with her, would not break his vows and be swayed. But Harwin Strong desired her, and she snuck out into the city, and he took her virginity. And that was on page 371, paragraph 3. So that's entirely different <laughs> from what happened, because we know in the show, Kristen Cole was breaking those vows there, <laughs> from what I saw. So we're definitely seeing a big difference there. And then Harwin Strong in the show, he wasn't even really noticed prominently until after the big time jump so that's a big deal there and i'll turn it turn it back over to you man for sure to back it up here to page 365 i want to mention this otto was stripped of his position because he badgered viserys too much about naming aegon heir where in the show it's because of the spy that snitched on rhaenyra and daemon and otto telling that info to the king and rhaenyra getting viserys to see that the plan is to make her look bad and to, to supplant her so it's just in, in Fire and Blood, he was so much more direct about what the heck he wanted. He was badgering him, and he said, "I will not be hectored by by my you know counsel here." So uh, that's a little bit like a little bit of a difference on that end. And then I will say this because I think this is a big point. This isn't so much a difference, but this does really explain things a little bit. On page three sixty six, already at this point, Allison and Rhaenyra were at odds, and we learn where the terms greens and blacks came from. Alicent wore a green gown on her and Viserys' fifth anniversary, and in contrast to that, Rhaenyra dresses dramatically in Targaryen red and black. And so after that, it became customary to refer to the Queen's party as the Greens and the Princess's party as the Blacks. So definitely a huge thing there. And I, I just to I, Chase already went through this, but just to reiterate about the difference of accountings between Septon Eustace and Mushroom about, you know, what happened with Damon and Rhaenyra and all that. On page 368, Septon Eustace claims that Damon seduced Rhaenyra and claimed her maidenhood, and Sir Eric with an A discovered them in bed together and brought them before the king, where Rhaenyra confessed her love for Damon and asked Viserys to let her marry him, to which Viserys said no, and he also reminded them that Damon is already wed and made Damon leave King's Landing, commanding neither of them to speak of what happened, and Mushroom's story of what happened was Damon basically groomed her and helped her in her quest to get Sir Kristen Cole to love her by giving her kissing lessons, by showing her how to touch a man to bring him to pleasure. He even took her to Dragonstone to become uh, comfortable being fully naked around a man and had her practice the arts of pleasing a man with her mouth. And also Mushroom states that Damon would take her to the streets of Silk to observe men and women in the act of love and learn. And apparently, Sir Kristen Cole was horrified and spurned her when she tried to use all of that which she learned, which is, of course, much different than the show. So, a lot of that is what Chase went over. I just want to go into a little bit more detail. It's interesting because, you know, HBO's never been afraid to kind of push the boundaries on things, especially when it comes to Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon. But they definitely did tone this down a little bit. But we also are, we have the knowledge that, hey, maybe none of these accountings are fully correct. And they maybe did shoot straight in the middle here between the two in, in a way. I mean, something useless doesn't really make sense, but, you know, on, on this part, anyways. Uh, to continue on into page 370, it was Alicent's idea to marry Rhaenyra to her son Aegon, where it was Otto's in the show. Uh, page 370, 
we learn that Viserys threatened Rhaenyra that he would make Aegon heir if she didn't marry Sir Laenor. And then between pages 370 to 371, we have conflicting reports from Septon Eustace and Mushroom again. Septon Eustace says that Sir Criston Cole went to Rhaenyra's bedchamber to confess his love for her and propose that they run away and that Rhaenyra refused him. Now that is kind of similar to what we saw on screen on the boat, even though it's a different spot, but on the boat where he kind of goes into his crybaby phase. <laughs> then, uh, <laughs> but Mushroom's accounting says that it was Rhaenyra who went to Sir Criston Cole and tried to seduce him, telling him that she saved her maidenhood for him and to take it as proof of her love. And Mushroom says that Criston Cole refused her and left her scorned and ended up bumping into Sir Harwin Strong and that she slept with him instead. So either way, the book makes it seem like Sir Criston Cole and Rhaenyra never had sex at all, and neither of these scenarios were like what we see on screen. It's like on the boat, and Rhaenyra is saying their fun can continue, etc. That never really is shown here in the novel, but they become bitter enemies from here on out. So they 100% had sex on screen, but either one of these accountings, <laughs> it sounds like either Rhaenyra spurned Sir Criston Cole or Sir Criston Cole spurned Rhaenyra, but regardless, it makes it seem like they never had an intimate relationship. Then from there... Into page 372, the tourney of Lenor and Rhaenyra's wedding had Kristen Cole defeating all challengers, and he broke Sir Harwin Strong's collarbone and elbow, and he knocked Sir Joffrey Lawnmouth unconscious, and that he was born from the battlefield all bloody, but he died six days later without regaining consciousness. Now that's completely different from the show. In the show, there was at the wedding ceremony, and Sir Jeffrey Longmouth says something to the effect of like, "Hey, we both know what's going on here. We can both have our fun. Let's just keep them safe." And he, Sir Christopher loses his mind and beats the shit out of him to death in the throne room right then and there. There was no six days later. That dude was dead on impact. But those are some of the, the other uh, differences that I I came across here. So I'll go ahead and turn it back over to Chase to go through a few more. Yeah, no, that was perfect. I don't know about you, man, but it felt like in the book they tried, they painted Kristen Cole to be out like a badass. That illustration in the book, he's like taking on, it wasn't like the show where it was like a couple guys he threw off as he continued to beat down Joffrey. Like, dude, he was like swinging at like armies of folks and what that looked like that illustration. It was badass, man, but just to kind of, uh, piggyback on what you were saying this was a cool part because a lot of people don't know this so in the book sir harwin strong just like they mentioned him in the show called Breakbones. so he was given the name Breakbones because Kristen cole broke his collarbone and shattered his elbow like how much is that a, like a fuck you harwin strong well that was mushroom's account that's what mushroom said happened we yeah, don't really mushroom's know account. we don't really know if that's actually true or not but uh uh, like well, he did say from there on out, like that was the joke because he was known as uh, Breakbones because he was supposed to be the strongest knight in the mm-hmm. kingdom. But from that point on, they people would say that behind his back as a as a snickering. But we don't really know if that's just a, an exaggeration from Mushroom, as we seem to find that he likes to do, or maybe that was true. But um, he definitely was known as Sir Breakbones because he was the strongest knight and known as the strongest knight in the Seven Kingdoms first, not because of this that happened here with Sir Kristen Cole. <laughs> that was pretty funny, though. I was laughing my ass off. But another kind of, just to piggyback off that moment, too, Kristen Cole, in the book, this is on uh, page 372, paragraph 2, he killed Joffrey with the Morning Star at the wedding. So it was definitely seemed a lot more brutal to me because in the show he was just beating him down with his hands but you know the morning star that's that big ass mace that we see in the show right that he uses it was a lot more messed up in the in the book but it was awesome uh the next thing so 
Uh, this is on page 374, paragraph 3. So Lady Rhea in the book, who Damon killed in the show, uh, it says in the book, you know, she just fell backwards off her horse, and then she actually died nine days later after falling from her horse. So that's what it says. So I don't know if it can be implied that, like, someone killed her, but it doesn't really mention Damon killing her exactly in that moment what did you kind of imply from this bro damon wasn't even in the veil when this happened in the yeah book. he wasn't even he there wasn't even all. there <laughs> no because you know to kind of speak about that um to I'd just go ahead a little bit damon wasn't even in the veil when ray rice fell from her horse and died and obviously in the show damon crushes her skull with a rock but and to continue on with that in page 374, Jane Aaron doesn't even grant Damon the inheritance from Rhea's death. She grants it to Rhea's nephew, which obviously never comes up in season one of the show. Maybe it's something that we see in season two. But uh, in page 374, after Damon's trip to the Vale, he makes a pit stop to Driftmark. So he wasn't even there when Rhea Royce fell off her horse. He was in a completely different area. So, yeah, a huge difference there. Yeah. Uh, the next one I have is Lena and Damon's baby that they have. Uh, when it's born, it's actually twisted and malformed and died within an hour. And this is on page 378, paragraph 3. Uh, so it wasn't, you know, remember in the show, they couldn't even get it out yet. Like, they were trying to make the decision whether to cut the baby out or not. Um, and then this next part here, this is a big difference, because Lena did not die from dragon fire, like in the show. Uh, Damon flew dragon back to bring back Maester uh, Gerardi's I think that's how you say his name. Gerardus. 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 There you go. I'm terrible at names. But it was too late, and she had died from childbirth. She did not die trying to get to Vagar one last time. All right, well, and like saying Dracarys, but she did try to get to Vagar to have one final flight, but she actually died on the tower steps going down. And this is on page 378, paragraph 3. But she didn't die running out to Vagar saying, Dracarys! And trying to like get him to burn her to the ground. And last one, I'll turn it back over to you. In the book, uh, Lainor actually dies according to Mushroom's account. Uh, Damon uh, had Carl cut Lainor's throat as the ship carried him away and then fed him to the sea is what it says so it's up to you to determine whether that's a credible account from mushroom but that's on page 379 paragraph three and back to you for sure i'm going to back us up here to page 374 just a few things that i picked up on uh Lainor, after when uh circus and cole killed joffrey lawmouth he wanted to name his and Rhaenyra's first child joffrey but uh what's his name sir i'm sorry lord corlys from Jiffmark. He's had no part of it. He's like, no, that's inappropriate. You're not naming your first child Joffrey. So we never really saw that come up. You know, Obviously, the first name was Jaceris for their child together. Well, their child, quote-unquote, together. Uh, so I just thought it was kind of cool that he really wanted to name... It shows the love that he had for Joffrey. He wanted to name their very first child after him. Uh, page 374, Queen Allison and King Viserys have a third son named Darren, and that doesn't show up in season one of the show at all. They said basically said, fuck Darren in season one of House of the Dragon. <laughs> So I definitely want to bring that up. Like he's just not shown it. Maybe he comes up in season two, hopefully. But he just maybe just skate over him in, in the series so far on, on season one. Uh, then we already talked about here on page three seventy four with Damon not being in the Vale when Rhea Royce died. Uh, talked about Jane Aaron not granting Damon the inheritance. We don't know if that happens or not because it just doesn't come up in season one. Maybe they show that in season two. But uh, 
Yeah, it's on page 374, after Damon's trip to the Vale, he makes a pit stop in Driftmark where he took a liking to Lena Valarian, where in the show it was at uh, Rhaenyra and Lenor's wedding where he took a liking to Lena Valarian. Now, page 375, Damon mocked the Bravosi who was betrothed to Lena before to the point where the Bravosi had to challenge Damon to a duel, and Damon killed him, which allowed Damon to marry Lena, which we never see that in the show at all. It just seems like they were you know, flirting with each other at, at the wedding, and that's they, they came together after that. Uh, page 376, Damon takes his and Lena's twin daughters to court to receive Viserys' royal blessing. That doesn't happen in the show. They're over there in fucking Pentos. And then, page 377, I don't know why, but this is another point that they just never bring up in the show. We learn that the youngest of Rhaenyra and Lenor's quote-unquote, Lenor's children, Joffrey, had a dragon egg, and the hatchling is named Tyraxis. Like, we do hear the name Tyraxis in the very, very last episode of season one, when Damon's kind of going through the list of dragons that they have, but he just is never really brought up. We see Joffrey the child every once in a while, very, very few scenes he's in but we never see his dragon Tyraxis on screen in season one but that's just something to talk about there then page 378 Rhaenyra betrothes Jason Luke to Bela and Reyna because she wanted to uh in, in but in the show yeah, that's because she wanted to in the show she offered that option to Rhaenys so that Rhaenys would back Luke's claim to the Driftwood throne if Corlys passed away so it makes it seem in the novel as if this is her plan and she wanted to do this, not because out of desperation, but because she thought it would be a good idea to strengthen the bond between the houses, where the show is absolutely a last Hail Mary ditch attempt to have Rhaenys back Luke's claim to the Driftwood throne. So, Anyways, uh, like Chase had mentioned on page 378, Lena actually gives birth to the third child between her and Damon on Driftmark, but it came out twisted and malformed and died within the hour. In the show, they couldn't even get the baby out, and they were in Pentos, not in Driftmark. Yeah. Uh, from this part here, we talked about this already. Damon flew to Dragonstone to bring Maester Gerardus back to Driftmark to see if he could save Lena, but they were too late. Lena died on her way to ride Vagar one last time. She never made it. She collapsed on the uh, throne steps and died. And Tower steps and died. And in the show, she begs Vagar to burn her. Now, here's a fun one. Page three seventy nine. It mentions that Lenor Valarian was stabbed to death by Sir Carl at a fair in Spice Town. And mentions nothing about a fireplace like we saw on screen. And there are a couple stories surrounding the murder. The first story is that Carl was jealous because Lenor had found a new favorite boyfriend. The second story is that Damon paid Carl to kill Lenor, arranged a ship to help Carl escape, but then cut Carl's throat himself and fed him to the sea to ensure that nobody ever learned of Damon's involvement. Where in the show, they faked Lenor's death so that Lenor and Carl could run off together. So a little, little bit of difference here and there, but long story short, in Fire and Blood, it makes it pretty apparent that he was killed one way or the other, whatever story you want to kind of follow. Page 380, it says that Joffrey was there when Aemon went to claim Vagar and pushed him into dragon droppings, and Joffrey went off to get his brothers and tell him what happened, and when Aemon landed... That's when the scuffle broke out. But in the show, Joffrey wasn't even there for this event. <laughs> they were they was uh, they were completely underneath that that area. Uh, in that, I would say they looked like underground. They looked like almost the caves. Not to say dungeons. Maybe the dragon pit down below. If they've got a dragon pit under Mark, whatever it was. But it, it, surely Joffrey had no part in this at all on screen. Like I said, Joffrey was very few and far between his appearances on screen. And then just the last one here before I turn it back over to Jace. Lionel, this is page 383. 
Lionel Strong and Harwin Strong died inside the castle at Harrenhal due to a fire, and there were a few rumors as to what happened. The first one is that Black Heron's curse you know, came up again, and that's what had killed them. Some said Corlys Velaryon ordered it as an act of vengeance against the man that cuckolded his son. Some said that Damon was responsible and did it as an act to remove a rival for Rhaenyra's affection. And some said that Laris Clubfoot was responsible because upon their death, Laris became the Lord of Harrenhal. And lastly, some even said it was the king himself who ordered it, so that way he could never reveal the truth of the parentage between you know uh, Rhaenyra and Laenor's children that it was actually uh, Rhaenyra and Sir Harwin's children. So, uh, in the show, it was just Laris made a deal with the dungeon prisoners and said, well, get such a free, cut your tongue out, but you guys gotta do this. So there was this interesting how it kind of, there were so many different rumors, but the one that we saw on screen was just a little bit different. So I'll go ahead and turn it over to you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, on page 382, the first paragraph, here's like a big difference as well, is on one account, they actually had a funeral <laughs> for Lenor. There was no funeral in the show because he escaped in the show. He's still technically alive. But no, they actually had a funeral for him, so we know he died on one account. Otherwise, someone else's body is in there. I don't know. They probably uh, took Carl's body out of the fire, thought it was him, and dressed him up like Lenor. I'm just kidding. Anyway, so the next account I have is too. Big one here. Big one. This is page 384, second to last paragraph. So Viserys is very unhappy i'll just say about rhaenyra's marriage to daemon as opposed to like when she comes back and he's kind of like shows her the kids and stuff this is before that but he's unhappy and it's because she was already pregnant with his child so that's a big one and that's on page 384 second to last paragraph and then rhaenyra's son aegon according to mushroom so this is according to mushroom but apparently on page 385 first sentence uh, her son named Aegon was a slight against Alicent's son Aegon. So just a little stab there. So think of that. That's interesting. Not how we usually think, oh, they just keep naming him that because Aegon the Conqueror. This was actually because it was more like, fuck you, Alicent. That's <laughs> really why. Uh, this was a big one, too. Page 387, paragraph 2. So I will say this scene was very similar. This is the dinner scene where, you know, they're kind of doing the toast. But one thing that was different, and this is a big one, Damon toasts to Otto for being a good hand. I don't know if that was sarcasm or like he actually thought he was a good hand. What did you kind of get from this accounting at this moment? Just knowing Damon's character, and you know, and this is another thing that's never brought up, at least in the Fire and Blood novel, but remember for Lena Valarian's funeral, he was like laughing as when Sir Vaiman talked about how the blood runs thick, so he just kind of has a sarcastic demeanor in and of itself. So I, I definitely think that he did it as a pretend peaceful thing, and like, oh, Dada, you're great, great king, you, or you're great <laughs> king's hand, you, you're a good hand of the king, man. No, so I, I don't think he genuinely feels that way. I think it was more of a, I'm gonna, you know, I have some peace here at this moment, you know, so my brother can enjoy his dinner because he ain't going to be around much longer. That's what I thought. Yeah. Do you think they should have had that in the show? Like, do you think after all the like 
you know, back and forth with Otto and him, and since you had the back and forth with Rainier and Allison, you don't think they should have done that? I don't think so either, but... Yeah, it just didn't didn't matter too much, because they didn't really build on the dislike in the show between Otto and Damon, so it, it would be kind of weird to force it at that point. Like, you know, we knew they didn't like each other, but in the novel it makes it seem like they really, really didn't like each other. So I, I, I like the way they did it. They made other characters cause the problem instead of Damon always causing the fucking problem. So I like the way the show did it a little bit better than, you know, having Damon say toasting to the hand of the king in a sarcastic manner. I do too. I, I like it. Um, and then this last one here, and then I'm going to turn it over to you. This is probably the biggest fucking one of all. When Viserys died, he just dies in the book. There's no whispering of Emma and the prince that was promised. There is no confusion from Alicent. There is no, like, milk of the poppy making you delirious speak some words. There is none of that. He just dies. That's it. (laughs) That's the way it happens. There is no back and forth. There's just, he's dead. We got to move on. <laughs> That's the way it works. Back to you, man. Sure, I'm going to back us up to page 384. This is, I think, this is kind of important to notate. You know how in the show Viserys's disease or condition, health condition, seem more like a skin type of rotting deal, where it describes Viserys's affliction as gout, aching joints, back pain, and a tightness in his chest. Where, like I said, the show was almost like it was spreading leprosy. It almost looked like that. I don't really know what it was or what they were trying to portray on the show, but his illness was 100% different between the Fire and Blood novel and what we saw on screen. Um, page 384 continued on. Damon marries Rhaenyra on Dragonstone, where in the show, they were super fucking disrespectful and got married on Driftmark like two days after Lena's death and funeral. So, uh, it's actually their funeral. Obviously, not the death because they had to bring her body back to Driftmark, but... Yeah, they, they, this show made it seem a lot worse because they got married in the same spot they just buried his last wife in. <laughs> and then on, on top of that, it killed, uh, quote-unquote, killed Lenor because he was, you know, it was a fake death, but still. And then on page 385, Damon Rhaenyra's second son, Viserys, his egg never hatched. And this just isn't mentioned in the show. Like, I'm sure maybe they'll bring it up later on, but that, he, like, they had two children, Aegon the Younger and Viserys the Second. And Viserys II's egg never hatched. Page 385, Helena and Aegon have children. Uh, it's twins, a boy and a girl named Jaehaerys and Jahera. And this is the first time in, we see them in on screen very sparingly, but they're never mentioned by name. But we do see negative effects of incest for the first time here in the novel because Jaehaerys was born with six fingers on his left hand and six toes on each foot. And like I said, we we see the kids briefly mentioned in the show, but the names are mentioned in their incest, uh, you know, like the problems with incest aren't really mentioned at all either. Now, on page 386, Helena and Aegon had a second son named Maelor. And he's just not really mentioned by name in, in the show. Going on into page 386, Rhaenyra sent Daemon to seize Sir Vaymond and had his head removed and fed his carcass to her dragon Cyrax. In the show, they had the petitions heard in court where Vaymond lost it and called Rhaenyra a whore and her children bastards, and at that point, Damon cuts off his head. So in the novel, it makes Rhaenyra seem a lot more like evil. Not evil, but she's not the nice thing that she's portrayed as in the show. She straight up had Damon go seize Vaymond, take him back, 
then had his head cut off and then the, fed the body to Cyrax in Fire and Blood. That just doesn't happen in the show. In the show, it's all on court, and it makes it seem like Damon killing Vayman was justified. Where this, the, 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 I don't think the punishment fits the crime here, having Rhaenyra bring his ass over there to, to her, removing his head and then feeding the body to, to Cyrax. That's, what did you think about that? It shows more of her true character in, in the novel here than it really kind of makes her seem on screen, right? Yeah, in, in my mind... See, here's the thing, though. I, I like the way they did it on screen because you can tell they weren't really trying to pick sides. In my opinion, it was kind of more like you know, they picked out the flaws in both sides. Like, they didn't make anyone exactly, like, pure evil. That was fucked up. <laughs> that was fucked up, man. Like, that's... Like, I mean, you definitely kind of see... I don't know, man. I, and I want to throw the great debate card on this. <laughs> so, I'm throwing the great debate card. We haven't thrown this in a while because there hasn't really been, you know too much like big debates that's like kind of off the wall this isn't exactly off the wall but here's my thing i have a lot of people a lot of people ask us they kind of see more of like rhaenyra as the protagonist allison as the antagonist but if you go to watch the show and read the book and i definitely kind of see that too in a way but i see both flaws and I have so many people, I think it maybe because they didn't read the book at all. Maybe I didn't pick this up. Maybe I just missed it. So clear this up for me. Allison doesn't exactly give the vibe that she's just pure evil either. Like I see two that really care about only themselves that are in this for themselves that are going back and forth that both have really bad flaws to show they're not exactly angels either. <laughs> I'm seeing, uh, it's almost, it, it's, 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 yeah. You have two that are definitely not angels <laughs> going back and forth at each other. I don't see one as being good, one as being bad. And constantly I have people asking us this question on the show uh, from people that just have questions about the whole series. They're like, you know, uh, Rhaenyra is the hero, Allison's bad, or Allison's terrible, and Rhaenyra's great, or even vice versa. Like, you know, it's like, you can't believe Rhaenyra did this, or that sort of thing. It's like, I don't see that. I think it's like two parties that are just straight out for themselves, but they're not angels, and they're definitely going to push their limits when when it's basically their own personal territory that's invaded and that's basically what i picked up from this because even reading this book i didn't see anything where it's like allison is just like a horrible person yeah she was sleeping with jaharis that's definitely a little well something's going on there definitely something going on probably with viserys but at the same time it's not like they were just trying to be that Allison's just like an evil person either. I didn't pick that up. Tell me if you did or not. So I'm not exactly sure what the debate is. Is it like, you know, are, are, is there a good side or a bad side or is it a little bit of a mix? I guess that's what I picked up from, from what you were saying Sorry, there. Sorry, here's the, here's the debate question. The debate question is, is this book 
Rhaenyra, the protagonist, versus Alicent, the antagonist. I say no. It's two people that care about themselves that are only about themselves. And that's why it's called a tragedy. Because it's two people that are not Daenerys Targaryen. I am very sorry about that. (laughs) But it's two people that only care about themselves in this situation. There is no hero in this story here, in my opinion. I don't think there's a hero either. I don't think there's really meant to be. I think it's more so it comes down to principle for Rhaenyra. You know, she was proclaimed as the heir to the Iron Throne. People swore fealty to her. Viserys never once, well, he he had second-guessed himself one time, but he had never once said, no, I'm thinking about making Aegon heir. And in, and to your point that you had already mentioned, the, the big difference between the novel and, and, and the show is that there was no, there was never brought up the Song of Ice and Fire and Aegon's dream and had this miscommunication as he was dying to Alicent to where you can really see that Alicent could have possibly confused the situation. You know, in in the novel, it really makes it seem like, oh well, now that King Viserys is gone. We're just going to make a play for the throne because we think it's the right thing. And if, if the way that it's portrayed there, it really makes it more black and white as, oh, man, Allison did something bad. She shouldn't have done this, so let's take Rhaenyra aside. But on the flip side of that coin, I think the novel also does a good job of explaining Rhaenyra's faults and how you know she herself is not painted in the greatest way at all times. You know, From the, the parts where she's learning how to please a man and trying to get with Sir Criss and Cole, and he's the member of the King's Guard, and he's shutting her down, according to Septon Eustace's account, uh, and you know, the, the, whatever one you want to go with. Then on top of that, she's killing people and feeding them to her dragons, and she just seems more ruthless and less caring, because we see in the show, especially in episode 10, she even considers accepting the terms because she doesn't want to rule over ash and bone and you know she seems like she cares about people a lot more in the show where in the book it's like no that shit that throne's mine motherfucker and i'm gonna take that shit by any means necessary right i mean the whole fucking book is called fire and blood you know (laughs) just to kind of draw a fun comparison remember when daenerys said you know i will take what is mine by fire and blood i will take it Uh, that's kind of similar to what it seemed like with rhaenyra here and that's i really think that the novel does a great job of painting them both as antagonists in a way. I honestly think that that's more along the lines of what the book is trying to do is show that this whole dance and this tragedy happened because two people could not overcome their own desires and what they thought was right for them. Rhaenyra thought it was right because she was proclaimed heir from everyone. They all swore fealty to her. Then she never got along with Alicent in the first place, so she was ready to, you know, ascend to the throne once Viserys passed away. She thought that it was the right line of succession. And then Alicent's like, "Well, hold on a second. I have the king's firstborn son, and this is how the tradition has gone through the entirety of history. When it went, you know, from Aegon the Conqueror to where we're at now, it always goes to the firstborn, true, first trueborn son of." the king and the king and i were married before we had this child so that makes aegon the second the first trueborn son of the king and on top of that i'm pretty sure your children are bastards rhaenyra so your line is going to be muddled down regardless so you have no claim to this nonsense i'm doing the right thing and then from there it's just two people thinking they're in the right and they're going to do whatever it takes to be right so that's kind of what i drew from from the book 
100% agree. And that's kind of the point I was trying to make on my side is, uh, you know, I we always have people answer, send us uh, questions through our social media, like, well, what side do you guys take? You know, like, like Rhaenyra is the hero here, or, you know, Allison's evil. It's not that. It's the fact of there are no good guys, in my opinion. This is just like you said. The novel clearly read the novel because it paints them out to be two not so much angels that are going after each other (laughs) and that's just the way i'll say that with that that goes back to the shadow realm and i'll uh, send it back to you jay nelly sounds like like a plan and this to kind of remind everyone where we left off we're talking about how sir vaymond was seized by Damon and then had his head cut off and body fed to Cyrax on Rhaenyra's orders. Again, big difference from what happens in the show. And then continuing on with that, on page 386, Vaemon's younger cousins with Vaemon's wife and sons, they go to King's Landing and they try to get justice and place their claims. And this is what I was talking about. Viserys makes a huge stand for the first time. And Viserys had each of their tongues removed because he had warned everyone previously when Aemon lost his eye that he would remove the tongues of anyone who would speak the quote-unquote lies of Rhaenyra's sons being bastards. This never happens in the show. Viserys never actually removes anyone's tongues. So in the book, it almost makes it seem like he's a stronger character and and finally takes a stand for certain things. Like, I know he was meant to to take that stand and back Rhaenyra's uh, claim, I I guess her son's claim, Lucerys to Driftmark, and that was supposed to be his big final like stand, but in the novel, he even takes it a step further when Vaman's cousins and wives and sons go to the damn place, and he's like, "Well, I told you not to say this shit. Now you gotta lose your tongue." So that's definitely a huge difference. Then on page three eighty seven, this is where Viserys cuts his hand on the throne, and he almost died. But Rhaenyra showed up with her maester Gerardus, who acted quickly and removed two fingers, which saved the king's life. Now, this whole skin disease in the show and him losing fingers happened much earlier. It, this it, what did not take all the way up to this point of the, the conflict for the Driftwood throne and Driftmark. It didn't take up until after that for this to start happening. And it, already, it was already progressing from early on in, in the season for, for the show. Now, page 389, Viserys' chest pains had grown so severe that he could no longer climb a flight of steps and he needed to be carried around the Red Keep. Again, different conditions. You know, we saw him just not be able to to walk at all, and his face and body like melting. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, this is the really important part here. And Chase had gone over it. I'm just going to go over it more in depth. On page 390, Princess Helena took her children, Viserys's grandchildren, to visit to visit Viserys in his chambers. And King Viserys told the children the story of how King Jaehaerys flew on his dragon to the wall to defend it against a large host of wildlings, giants, and wargs. And he sent them off on their way because he was weary and his chest was feeling tight and he wanted to rest. And at that point, he never woke up again. And he was 52 years old. Where in the show, it's Alicent that goes to him in his chambers and there's a miscommunication about Aegon the Conqueror's dream and the Song of Ice and Fire. And Alicent thinks Viserys is telling her that he wants their son Aegon to be king. There's no mention of Aegon's dream in this section of the book. It's not documented in the pages that cover this time period that Viserys ever said anything to anyone about Aegon's dream or the prince that was promised. So this is a huge difference here. Helena brought the grandchildren and they just, he told them a story and then went to sleep and never woke up. <laughs> where like the whole thing, so this is what I'm saying. Like when we were talking about who the protagonist is, who the antagonist is, and this is what paints Alicent in a really bad light is the fact that 
she there at least in the show you can kind of make an excuse for her oh she miscommunicated and she thinks this is what Viserys is telling her to do like yeah even that is a stretch but in the in the novel there's no stretch at all she just straight up said all right he's dead I'm taking over and that's you know so that's just something that's that's a little not a little bit much different to continue on there page 395 Alicent says the iron throne by rights must pass to his grace's eldest trueborn son like I mentioned she had never had a miscommunication with the king she was planning on making Aegon king all along in the novel where the show at least she can claim some sort of miscommunication uh two more things here and I'll turn it over to Chase page 396 there's different accounts of what happened to Lyman Beesbury some say Otto sent him to the black cells some say Chris and Cole forced Lyman back into his seat and slit his throat and some say that Chris and Cole threw him out of the window and he was impaled by the iron spikes below where in the show it shows that his head was smashed against the marble ball on the table by Chris and Cole and also on page 398 Aegon was found very quickly after the death of King Viserys, where in the show there was this huge manhunt with Sir Eric and Sir Eric and Sir Criston Cole and Prince Aemond. So there was, I actually kind of liked the way the, the, the show did that, added some drama to it, the whole great race, the amazing race type deal to Aegon. So those were some of the two big differences there that I wanted to close out with before turning it back over to Chase. Uh, what did you have from here? Yeah, uh, just to close out here because I don't have much more. By the way... I think that would have been fucking badass to see Kristen Cole toss him out of... What if it was, like... It would have reminded me a little bit of, like, when Tommen jumped out of the window. But if Kristen Cole had thrown his ass out the window and he landed on spikes, it would have been, like, a combination of Tommen and, like, what they did in the Two Towers film <laughs> where fucking uh, uh, Saruman, like, falls on the fucking bridge mill <laughs> with spikes to him. I don't know. I think it would have kind of been badass, but I like the way they did it. It was kind of like... I don't know. What do you think? I agree with you. I wish they would have thrown his ass out the window. That's much cooler than just smashing his head on the damn table. Like, you imagine him just grabbing his ass and launching him out the window? Like, I understand why they did it, because they wanted to make it seem like it was just a quick act of passion and anger and aggression by Sir Chris and Cole, where you can kind of explain that off. Where, like, it's straight up murder if you grab his ass and throw him out the window. But I still think it would have been cooler to see on the screen to have this old man just get launched out the damn window and land on one of the spikes. But, yeah, man, that's my thoughts on it. Or even, like, you know how they've been kind of picking in the middle of all these stories? If you had had, like, Otto had his men seize him, and then as the men seize him, he grabs him and hauls him to the window and just throws him out? That would be fucking sick, man. Be badass. That would show how fucked up Kristen Cole really is. Just like the Joker says, I want to see how angry a mad dog really is. (laughs) So messed up. Anyways, just to finish out here. Big difference here. This is page 400, last paragraph. So, big difference. And I like the way they did it in the show, but Aegon's coronation is actually in the dragon pit in the book. In the show, it's in the Sept of Baelor because Maelys has to break through the It's actually still the dragon pit. So the Sept of Baelor is over the dragon pit. So that's actually actually something that's the same because the dragon pit is where they keep their dragons and there's no way you could burst up through the floorboards if you're not above the dragon pit. So the Sept of Baelor is over the dragon pit in both the show and in the novel. So that's actually a similarity. Okay, gotcha. I was reading it like they did it with... Correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know. I was reading it like, I guess, like, dragons must have been all around. Like, it was in the center of where they held the dragons. But I guess maybe it's, like, right above that. Yeah, I believe it's it's right above the dragon pit, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, and maybe this is, like... Um, 
maybe this is what they were trying to get at, but I wrote down that Grandmaster Orwell, uh, Orwell, this is on page 400, last paragraph, he says 100,000 people watched Aegon's coronation in that dragon pit. I mean, maybe that was, like, what they were trying to get at, but, I mean, I didn't think it looked like a much as much of 100,000. What do you think? Yeah, that, that, that don't think that the number's the important part. It's just the fact that they're trying to show the masses have seen Aegon rise to the throne, and so it leads to credibility for his claim as you know, everyone that was able to come and witness it. They all saw Aegon being named king with every mark of legitimacy, you know, with Aegon's the Conqueror's crown, with Aegon the Conqueror's sword, with him being, you know, coronated in front of as many people as they could fit. I don't think the numbers are the important thing to think that to, to to dwell on. It's the fact that optically what it what it represented to the realm is everyone at that point who saw it can go back and tell their friends, we'll tell their friends, we'll tell their friends, they'll spread out throughout the kingdom that, you know, Aegon was named king and he's the new king of the seven kingdoms. Okay, I mean, that's fair. I'll, I'll let it slide. So, the next big part here. This is with, uh, cut your eye out from you, boy. <laughs> this is with, uh, Aemond over in the Stormlands here. So, is the girl's name Maris? I want to make sure I say it right. Is it Maris? Is how you say it? M-A-R-I-S. The one that he was, I guess, the daughter of Lord Boris. I guess is his name, right? Yes, uh, Lord Boros, but I believe Maris is the name of the daughter. I think that's how it's pronounced. Yes. Yeah. So one thing I wrote down, this is page 421, paragraph 3. I don't know if he wasn't... I don't know exactly how clean his intentions were, whether he was going to keep pursuing him or not outside. But one thing that kind of eggs him on here is Maris says... Was it one of your eyes he took or one of your balls? <laughs> that kind of like eggs him on further after. It's almost like he was going to stop for a minute. Like after uh, Lord Boris like gave the command, like, you know, none of this will happen here. But that like eggs him on further. And none of that's even mentioned at all in the show. And uh, the last thing I have, and I'll let you, I'll turn it back over to Jay Nelly here. So. It says that after this big fight went down, so there are a number of accounts that could have possibly thoughts that really on how, you know, with Eric's and Lucerus, uh, the death of them, right? It says Eric's, Arax, his head and neck washed up beneath the cliffs before, uh, cliffs below Storm's End three days later to make a feast for crabs and seagulls. It says, Mushroom says that Aemon's corpse, um, sorry, not Aemon, uh, that Lucerius' corpse was washed up as well. And it was said that Aemon cut out his eyes and presented them to Maris, who I just mentioned. But some say Vagar snatched uh, Luke off the dragon's back and swallowed him whole. Some say that Prince, the Prince Luke Lucerius survived the fall and swam to safety but lost all memory of who he was, spending the rest of his days as a simple-minded fisherman. But, it says, the true-telling Munkin insists, is Lucerys died with his dragon and his body was never found. This was on the last paragraph of page 421 to the first paragraph of page 422. So the point being is we see there's a number of different accounts here 
on what happened. So I guess you can hope maybe, you know, Lucerius survived that big-ass fall. E Eric's absolutely did not. He, he, he was a feast for the crabs. <laughs> a feast for the crabs, baby. Symbolism of three. Lucerius, Eric's, and the crabs. <laughs> All getting along, baby. Yeah, dude, his ass got ate the fuck up. <laughs> fucking dragon, man. But yeah, I guess you can live, you know, say maybe he lived happily ever after, like a, a fisherman. So that's what I tend to go with. But you never see a body. So, you know, uh, Jay Nelly is a big, you got to see the body kind of thing. And we never saw that in the show. So maybe, you know, at the very end of this series, I just picture almost like, you know, the Dark Knight Rises. Maybe they'll cut to the series and he's just fishing on a dock somewhere. <laughs> the series ends. I don't know. But back to you, Jay Nelly. For sure, I do have a few differences here that I notated before we get to that part. On page 402, Sir Stephen Darklin is the one who stole the crown that both King Viserys and King Jaehaerys wore, slipped out of the city and escaped the Dragonstone to deliver the news. In the show, it was Sir Eric with an E. Now, page 402, Rhaenys was never there at King's Landing in the book, and she never escaped or went down to get her dragon to escape or burst to the floor with the opportunity to incinerate all of the greens. None of that happened in the book at all. That was a full-blown ad by the show. Cool ad, don't get me wrong, but it's just really funny how that huge moment that is one of the most memorable of season one on the screen actually never happened in the book at all. It just was a full-blown ad by the writers and the directors. And, you know, I, don't, I didn't hate it. I thought that was a good ad, honestly. Um... From there, page 403, Rhaenyra's miscarriage on Dragonstone. The baby came out as a twisted, malformed girl with a hole in her chest where the heart should have been, and she had a stubby, scaled tail. In the show, it was just a standard miscarriage. Now, page 405, Rhaenys is going over the dragon count versus the greens, where in the show it was Damon going over the dragon count. Page 407, the Greyjoys are brought up. They don't make a reference to the Greyjoys as of yet in the show. So interesting. You know, the, I guess the Greyjoys were around back then. Uh, page 409. Maester Orwell is the one that brings terms to Rhaenyra on Dragonstone. In the show, it's Otto Hightower himself. Page 410. Rhaenyra tells the Maester, tell my half-brother that I will have my throne or I will have his head. In the show, she actually considers the terms and tries to do things peacefully to avoid where she can help it. This is what we were just talking about. This is the, the, the book really shows that she's ruthless, that she will do what she needs to do by any means necessary, which is not how she's portrayed in, in the show on screen. Now, page 410. There's an unconfirmed meeting between the Cargill twins, Sir Eric with an E and Sir Eric with an A, to try to convince the other to join the other side, and neither does, and they exchange heartfelt words, knowing that the next time they meet, it will be as enemies. And that's not shown in the show as of yet. And here between pages 412 and 414, I'm not going into detail because it's probably going to show it in season 2, but they discuss Damon's assignment, like I said, not yet shown in the show. Then pages 414 through the second paragraph on page 418, it discusses Jaceris' assignment, also not yet shown in the show. And then as Chase had alluded to, and I'll just go over it in just a little more detail, it was... Maris, one of Lord Boros's daughters, that's to blame after Lord Boros had Lucerus escorted back to his dragon to avoid a fight in his halls between Aemond and Luke. Maris was upset that she wasn't the daughter chosen to be taken as Aemond's wife, and she says to Aemond, Was it one of your eyes he took, or one of your balls? I'm so glad you chose my sister. I want a husband with all his parts. 
and that's what sets Aemon off in the novel. And that's never that never happened in the show. None of the daughters are even brought up at all in Storm's End in season one of House of the Dragon. And then on page 421, just to kind of tie it all together, now Chase mentioned that there's a couple different theories of what happened to Lucerys after this battle, but the main thing it makes it to me, it makes it seem as if Aemon killed Lucerys on purpose. And the show was clearly an accident due to Vagar not fully obeying him. And you can even see Aemon's shocked look of surprise, like, oh, fuck, what did I just do? Type of, you know, face that he gave at the very end of that. So that was the last difference that I notated between the corresponding sections of Fire and Blood and season one of the House of Dragons. So, yeah, man, those were the ones that, that came up, the huge detailed uh, differences. And like you had mentioned, I think the biggest thing we can take away from this is that there is no protagonists they're two antagonists doing all they can to get what they want and i that's what i believe is going to continue at least correspondingly through fire and blood and i wonder if the show is going to eventually paint that in that direction or if it's going to make it seem because i agree with you 100 it really does make it seem if you're not reading the novel or the because obviously it's not a it's a historical accounting novel it's not it doesn't follow their stories as a song of ice and fire does with their characters so as we keep moving forward in fire and blood with the accounting from the historians i i believe we're still going to see more of the same of these two people are going to do whatever it takes to get what they want versus the show at this point at the very least it makes it seem as if one is in the more in the wrong than the other and the other one's only reacting to what the other one is doing meaning like they they are painting the high towers in the negative light and painting the the other Targaryens, the Blacks, in a more positive light. That's what it seems to me on screen, and I wonder if that's going to continue on screen or if they're going to eventually shift into showing that, hey, both of these people, they're not, they're, neither of them are angels, as, as Chase mentioned. So, And I've already t- kind of spoken about certain things just regarding us covering the episodes of Season 1 House of Dragon, where Rhaenyra seems to do whatever she needs to do and kind of would either try to weasel way out of trouble or in, you know when she's in a position of power she acts way different than when she's in a position of weakness she's not consistent at all and, and I wonder if that's going to continue or how it's going to go moving forward but long story short there's a huge difference between how the two sides are portrayed on screen versus how the two sides are portrayed in the novel and the way it's shown in the novel there's no good guys so with that being said I'll, I'll uh, turn it over to Chase yeah absolutely in the words of Tyrion Lannister uh, when he was talking to uh, Lord Varys at one point you know before everything went down in season 8 he was like uh, and actually he said this to Cersei Lannister when she said uh, a foreign whore (laughs) that sounds like a girl for you and he said no a queen that chooses to listen to her, her advisors and not give in to her impulses that's the queen you want and unfortunately here we have two queens that only listen to their impulses in my opinion and um you can kind of even see in a way in the show in the show that is another little difference between the book you're starting to see a little bit more of damon's influence in the show towards the end there um but what i will say this is how you do a fucking show, baby. This is how you do a fucking show. Let's fucking go, man. Let's fucking go. Fuck yeah. Fuck yes. That is what I will say about that. They absolutely killed it. 
you know, in shows, you got to have great writing and you also got to do your own thing a little bit. You don't want to see the exact chess match board for board that's coming off the novel, but you don't want to entire deviate from the plot either. Like we've seen, we won't bring up other franchises, but we have clearly seen with some other shows we've covered on this podcast. And I think they nailed it. I Consistently across the board, yes, there were some episodes I didn't think were quite as exciting as some of the other ones, but there were no super major problems like we've seen in some other uh, shows before with basically what they've taken from the novel and what they put on screen. And I loved it. I thought it was great from beginning to end. This is a fantastic fucking time to be a Thrones fan uh, man, and it, it is only going up from here. Uh, sadly, unfortunately, we do have to wait until 2024, I think. But the good news is we know that fucking shit's coming back. So you know right where to find Jay Nelly and I. We will be here for season two when it comes back a fucking round, man. And this was the way to do it. It was excellent. I, I loved it, man. What do you think of the show overall? I can't disagree with you. I think it was... A great combination of following the source material and adding their own little flair as well. And just as you mentioned, there's no episode that I was watching. I'm like, man, I wish I was doing something else other than watching this episode. This is boring as shit. There was no episode like that. Uh, there were some that were a bit slower than others, but still had key detail and things you needed to pay attention to going forward into the series. So there was really no bad episode of House of the Dragon. They did a really great job with it. Yes, there new there is nuanced differences. But there needs to be for it to be a, a great adaptation between you know what you read on paper versus what you see on screen. And I think they did a really great job with it, man. So I don't know. Do you have anything else you want to say before we close out for the day? No, man. That was great. And uh, don't worry. Do you want to tell him we got one more, one more planned? Yeah, well, I mean, we already mentioned it at the beginning of this episode that, you know, next week we're going to be doing our rankings episode to kind of put this all together. So, guys, stay tuned for that. That's going to be really exciting. And that's going to actually close out season two of Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy. And then we're going to take a little bit of a break. And then we're going to come back after that break and jump into season three of Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy. And it's going to be, you know, just like, just like season two, we're going to get better and better. And we're going to bring more stuff to you. And really excited for that so you know, next week will be the very final episode of season two chasing josh factor fantasy so do not miss it and if this was your first time listening to our show today we hope you really enjoyed what you heard if you have been here since the beginning thank you for continuously being the shields that guard the realms of fantasy it means a lot to chase and i and if you're looking to figure out where you can follow us on social media we are on instagram at official ridiculous patronus we are on tiktok at ridiculous patronus we are on uh, backup instagram at fact underscore or underscore fantasy backup tiktok at fact underscore or underscore fantasy we are on Facebook, Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy. We are on YouTube, Ridiculous Patronus. We're on Twitter, RP Factor Fantasy. We're on Snapchat, RP Factor Fantasy. And we do have our own site as well, RidiculousPatronus.blogspot.com. So go ahead and click like, subscribe, follow along, and stay engaged with all our posts there. And in terms of the podcast itself, if you are an Apple user, you can find us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. If you're an Android user, you can find us on Spotify, Google Play. We're also on iHeartRadio. We're on Amazon Music. We're on Audible. We're on Podbean. We're on Stitcher. We're on Acast. 
wherever you get your podcasts. Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy are there, so please make sure to leave written reviews on Apple Podcasts. If you're an Apple user, go ahead and click star ratings on Spotify. If you're an Android user, all of that engagement really does help us out a lot, and thank you so much for what you have done up until this point. But outside of that, guys, this one's been fun. We're out for the day because this has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh. Factor Fantasy. Signing Signing off. off.